Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Lunch Agenda, broadcasting and recording live at Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Lunch Agenda is a podcast that schools you on undercover parts of the food system that you should know more about. This, food, this show has touched on topics from food access, food distribution, and how to educate about food. You can find all of those previous episodes on your favorite podcast apps and more information about these episodes at Kiko Buff on Instagram. Speaking of Kiko, longtime host of Lunch Agenda, she has graciously allowed for guest hosts to take over her show while she's away on maternity leave. So, hi, my name is Alexia Brown. I am a current undergraduate student at the University of Maryland College Park, pursuing a degree in behavioral and community health, and I will be your first guest host of the summer. I'm excited to host this show as a chance to do more community networking and to bring you along with me in my journey of learning how I might want to work and get involved with health equity and food justice work in the district. So today's episode is the first of many that I have planned for my Lunch Agenda guest hosting. When Kiko offered me the opportunity to develop some episodes, today's guest was the first feature that I thought to bring on, and I'm incredibly grateful to be able to get to know their story a little more. When we return from this break, I'm going to introduce you to an upcoming initiative in DC's Ward 7 and 8, which seeks to build community resilience through food. Learn all about the mission of the Community Grocery Co-op here on Lunch Agenda when we get back. Welcome back to Lunch Agenda, broadcasting and recording live at Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., I'm Alexia Brown, and I'll be hosting a series of episodes for Kiko while she's out on maternity leave this summer. If you have any questions or comments for me, be sure to contact me through social media at Brown. That's with a Y. Thank you. (laughs) As mentioned in previous episodes of Lunch Agenda, the district is currently in food access crisis. Wards 7 and 8 are home to over 150,000 D.C. residents, but host just three grocery stores. Literally just three. This makes it necessary for those residents to utilize other sources of food, such as fast food restaurants and convenience stores, which historically provide fewer nutrient-dense food options for the patrons that a grocery store could. When you put this issue into perspective regarding overall quality of life issues, residents have less autonomy over the choices they can make for their diet and face significantly more hurdles in obtaining nutrient-dense, quote, healthy foods. When you consider transportation and the high cost of products in those few available grocery stores within the neighborhoods, this is a disaster. The lack of access to affordable quality stores in Ward 7 and 8 is a health equity issue that must be addressed. The Community Grocery Co-op's mission is targeted just for this, to provide access to affordable, sustainable, and healthy foods for the community that would otherwise have access issues. 
So today I'm really excited to introduce our guests. These are representatives from the Community Grocery Co-op. Today in studio, we have Clarice Manning. She is the outreach coordinator of the co-op and a longtime Ward 7 resident. And then on the phone, we have Raul Edwards. He is the project manager, and they're both on the uh, board of directors, correct? Yeah. Awesome. So we are going to get a little more into this dynamic initiative and learn about how co-ops do more for building community resilience. So thank you. Welcome. Hello. Hi. How you thank doing? You for thank you. Us. Awesome. So I want to first ask. Um, I'll toss the question to Clarice first, and then Raul, you can give us um, a little more insight if need be. But how was the idea for the grocery store first founded? Okay, so um, the idea was started by um, another person, um, someone else who uh, was was not really a DC native, but she saw a need that you know what's going on here is not really enough grocery stores or access to healthy food within the area, which is Ward Seven. So um, a bunch of people came together and decided to form a food co-op and I was asked hey do you want to be a part of this and um, not too long ago after I was uh, introduced to it I was having a conversation with my sister about uh, Glut Food Co-op which is located in Mount Rainier, Maryland and it was like wouldn't it be cool if it was a Glut in Ward 7 uh, particularly around Bennett Road or Minnesota Avenue or somewhere, and this popped up. So uh, it was definitely along the lines of, of uh, you know, that idea mm-hmm. of there being something that is owned by the community, that the community has more control over. You have a, you have a say in what is being put in the store, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you touched on a lot about um, the fact that D.C. has a history with co-ops. You said you mentioned the one in Mount Rainier. Um, I want to get into a little bit about what happened at the University of Maryland with their co-op, if people aren't familiar with the story. Um, So let's also make sure that we define co-ops. So, um, Raul, can you tell us a little bit about what you know of what is a (laughs) co-op? Well, the co-op is pretty much uh, individuals who come together and they vote. Um, usually the members have one vote, one member, and they vote collectively on what they want the co-op to be designed and how the co-op is going to function and how um, the money and uh, distribution will be, um, how the process will go on the business process. Our co-op is a food co-op. Um, there's many different other co-ops. There's mm-hmm. a housing co-op. There's um legal co-ops, but ours is a food co-op, so we have um, guidance from the Food Co-op Initiative, uh, who's an entity, a nationwide entity, who we get our guidance from. And so with with the food co-op, we have a a, a set plan in place to go from beginning to the end to where we open up a store, and there's steps in between that we're following, along with the members that are, are joining us to be able to have a full-service grocery store in either Ward 8 or Ward 7. Cool. Yeah, I did some research on coopdc.org. This is my source. Um, and it said 
that particularly cooperative businesses were uh, one of the mechanisms used by black residents, especially after um, like in the post-World War um, era to basically help the communities gain economic power and to really hold their space. Um, and so you see co-ops popping up in a lot of areas. I'm really grateful to be a resident of College Park um, because when you get into Hyattsville and Mount Rainier, um, there's a lot of like of that same energy of co-ops, even though they might not be as robust as they were um, back in like mid-century, like 20th century. Um, so my understanding is they develop from a need for marginalized people to acquire um, the resources and the economic power um, that they need through the influence of community building. So what do you, int- like, why was it a co-op for you in this space in Ward 7? Um, why was that important? And how do you think that the message of co-ops might resonate um, today in 2019 with those residents? Um, and I might throw that to Clarice since you are one of the longtime residents of Ward 7. Oh, okay. So, um, in particular, uh, for me, it's all about um, residents having their voices heard and um, being in control of what it is that they want, uh, what ac- you know, the access of what they want within the community. Um, touching on, uh, not too long ago, there was a report that was that came out that was done by Vincent Gray you know, of the Safeway that's over in Ward 7 um, on the corner of Minnesota and Benning Road and how um, for long periods of time, for years, uh, people have complained and there are long lines and the food quality wasn't as good. And um, even though people would, you know, put their complaints in, nothing would change. And then there was like an investigation done to whereas they found a whole lot of problems and issues um, going on with that Safeway uh, from mold in certain places that really shouldn't be there to areas, certain areas of the store where it was empty and it's like, why isn't there anything here? So, um, you know, piggyback, you know, from that, um, a major thing for me as far as the co-op was for people to, you know, you know, you, you get fed up after a while. And, and yeah, you have a voice as to, okay, what food you want to be there. Um, if there's a problem, you know, it will be addressed right away. And everybody is working together. People put pulling together their resources to get whatever needs to be done, done. Mm-hmm. And whatever access, access to whatever it is that you want, you get it. Yeah, a theme that I heard in that is people power versus institutional power, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. Um, so to get into a little bit about what happened at the University of Maryland. So there was um, Maryland Food Collective was founded there um, about 40 years ago. Um, and so they've been operating in the basement of the, um, the student union at the University of Maryland. And so this past semester, the, the administration went to them and they said, you were very behind on your... Uh, on your taxes and on your rent, like we have to kick you out. Like there's no other option. Um, mind you that on the next floor of the student union, there's Chick-fil-A, they're thriving, there's McDonald's, Sabaros, all of that. Uh, Panda Express that now opens at like 8 a.m. <laughs> for students. So the co-op was founded back in the 70s at a time where uh, College Park was seriously a food desert and people really needed um 
access to groceries and to good food at a low cost. Um, so obviously things have transformed where the university stopped caring about um, really maintaining the status of the uh, of the co-op as like more cheap and accessible food came in. Um, so it got to a point where, yes, the community co-op was a great space for community building. And if you listen to the students, they would tell you they value that place more than any Sbarro's, <laughs> you know, uh, McDonald's, Panda Express. Um, but the university decided uh, that they were going to close it and not listen to the co-op workers about their viability plan. Um, they had raised about $10,000 to show good faith that they were making um, plans to eradicate the debt. Um, so I was wondering if you all had any uh, reactions to that in the face of trying to open um, a food co-op yourselves. That is really unfortunate to hear that happening, especially, I mean, that is that is an awesome, you know, story, you know, since it's been started by students uh, there at the university and for the university to not really listen and and hear the voices of the students. That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. seems like they're and you mentioned how the 21st century is. It seems like they're moving, you know, paying more attention to retail and what's glitz and glamour, but it's really not quality food. And the quality food is really is what's going to sustain you, what's going to be healthy and what's what you're going to pass down to, you know, the next generation and not a Sabaro. I mean, Sabaro can go out of business tomorrow and the next generation wouldn't even know that they exist unless they looked it up on the internet. But with a food co-op, you can pass that 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 history that, and those techniques and just um, a skill of running a co-op and 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 making sure that it operates and fundraising and there's so many avenues and um, aspects of a of a business someone can learn through a co-op that you just can't go you can't do in a retail in a retail setting. Um, I understand that the the taxes were behind and fees were behind, but they they it's I would say even for any co-op, it's very important that you uh, know that the the community uh, that you're that you're setting and how the things are changing in the community, so that as things change in the community, you can also maneuver and change with it also. And, mm-hmm. and that's the lesson that we will also have to learn as the community grocery co-op as we move into Ward 7 and Ward 8 and try to establish uh, a grocery store there. Yeah, that uh, I love what you said because it reminded me of how um, co-ops have community consciousness and because of what Clarice, you were saying that there is a voice there and you have to pay attention to that voice. Um, co-ops are better suited to immediately respond to the needs of the community and to provide um, what they need in terms of building resilience and responding to um, issues and crises and also just uh, providing space for people to build and connect. Um, and so that's why I think they're important. Obviously, I'm very biased on this episode. Um, and that's why I want to tell this story. So, um, Raul, could you tell me about what called you what called you to be a part of the community grocery co-op? Um, a friend of mine um, that lived in Ward 8 um, let me know about the co-op. And I live um, in Greenbelt, where there's a co-op that's going on for about 70 years that opened up um, a little bit after World War II. And so um, and having that knowledge and being a, a patronage of the Greenbelt Co-op, I said, well, there's no need 
put my 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 money and my work into the Greenbelt Co-op when there's a need in Ward Seven and Eight to to establish a co-op. And I did some research and realized some of the co-ops that were used to be in Washington D.C. I think the last co-op that was really thriving ended in like 1985. It, it was going on strong during the 70s, but as um, you know, the political climate changed and the residents uh, changed over the over the years, um, the need for a co-op wasn't there. So I think the last major co-op closed in 1985, and I said that's a long period of time not to have a co-op. You're almost having, you know, a, a, a generation just not knowing how a co-op will function in, in the District of Columbia. So I, I joined. I joined in 2017. I learned that the uh, the efforts had started in 2016, and our timeline, we were looking at, you know, four to five years of getting something established. And so we're, we're still pressing, and we still believe that we will make our, our goals. And Clarice, what called you to be a part of a co-op? You touched on it a little bit, but... Um, just, just not wanting to travel so far Mm -hmm. to get the stuff that I need. My lifestyle is vegan. So at the time when, um, it was back in 2015 that, um, I came, you know, that, that it was introduced to me. And also at the same time, the idea, you know, having that conversation. So the idea of veganism and the idea of the co-op kind of came together. Mm -hmm. And at the time I, I was also volunteering a lot at food uh, um, at Glut um, Food Co-op, so um, I got a little bit of a sense of um, the atmosphere and the culture and how it runs and and what goes into the everyday operations from when they get their shipments in the mi- in the morning to closing time when they have to prepare at night and some pe- some some of the workers there they even stay way later even after the store closed to prepare for the next day um so in experiencing all that it didn't make any sense to me of why there isn't something like that in dc especially in in the community where i live where there are so many people on um, low income that um, don't have the money to shop at certain places um, high pr- stores, high prices, and all these other kind of things. And um, I saw that the co-op, um, it, it can it can possibly solve all that, and especially since they um, have like a particular program to where is you volunteer there at the co-op and for a certain number of hours, and your hours are, are transformed into um, a certain amount of points mm-hmm. or, or like buying power yeah, at the yeah. store mm-hmm. so whatever it is whatever the set amount is for the number of hours that you work you can use that to buy whatever you want in the store mm-hmm. it should be something like that yeah <laughs> in, in dc for people who don't have you know mm-hmm. enough to support and buy what they want yeah so, mm-hmm. yeah that was that was an, another really strong thing uh, that touched me to okay yeah we need to yeah. get this thing make it happen sure and so both of you work um 
in capacities of like community outreach um, and community coordination. So what does it look like to transform the message and the mission that you have to the people that you want to impact? Because from my understanding, a lot of people think that co-ops um, are only ran by white people, only a, a function of white communities. Um, when when you actually look at the function and the power of co-ops, they very much conserve communities like Ward 7 and 8 um, with black residents who uh, really need this mechanism for community building. So um, how does that look like to to tell people about what you're doing and what is the energy around it? Well, so far it's been, the energy has been very welcoming. So far um, it's, it's already somewhat of a conscious mind change going on uh, between people in their health. Like, it's, it's so much information that's shifting. So um, whenever I present the idea or whenever I present the co-op to people when I'm out in the street or walking to the store or whatever, people are like, yeah, that's something that I, I, I that sounds interesting. I want to know more. I want more information. Mm. So, um, yeah, haven't really had a problem with, cool. with uh, forwarding that message to get that, to uh get that message to people and for them to get the idea. Mm-hmm. Rawl, for you um, as the project manager as well, are you thinking about uh, the ways that you package that message to people and what has been the way the uh, reception that you've received? I think from a project management perspective, you look at the other co-ops that have thrived across the nation and the demographics are different um, and I can see why some people can think that um, other uh, classes of people have more success, but their success really comes from an economic advantage. And so we have, um, we, we were now in coalition with other urban um, co-ops across the country. We have a, a, a monthly call with them, and we exchange stories and, and strategies on how we could present the message and also execute the message, execute our, our goals um, with the uh, low income or even if it's not low income, just the low access or not help, you know, from the, the government entities that are, that are there or there are some areas where we have to, you know, apply for grants or apply for um, different uh, assistance even as the co-op so that we can continue to, to function. And so we, we share stories amongst each other, and that's been helpful as a project manager to know that, one, you're not in this by yourself. Two, you know, your struggles, someone else has struggled, and now because they've overcome a hurdle, you can overcome that same hurdle using their strategy, and you're not stuck. Um, so that that is what's been helpful. Um, one of the principles of co-op is to, um, you know, you're a, a co-op, it's supposed to help another co-op, and it's not it's free of charge. And so that's what we do for others, and others have done for us. That's awesome. And um, something that I was particularly interested in asking about, so as a community health student, um, they really hammer us, at least in my program, about making sure that when you use the word access, you know exactly what you're talking about, um, because there are so many different dimensions to it. So... Um, that is a huge part of your mission is opening up access to healthy foods, sustainable foods. Um, so what particular 
What particularly do co-ops do to open up access? And then what gaps still remain for uh, people in Ward 7 and 8 to really be able to access that full level of health and that quality of life that we want them to have? So in essence, like, what are the goals and the things that you're looking towards when you think of the word access? How do you all define it? And then um, are there things that we can do as a community to reach other dimensions of access? Because I'm thinking about like transportation, right, and cost and all of that. So if you could speak a little bit to that and just kind of educate our listeners about um, what access really means, that would be helpful. Yeah, you um, you pretty much touched that. That's, that's exactly what um, what we mean when it comes to you being able to easily uh, travel to the um, <clears throat> easily travel to your grocery store, whether it's through bike or walking or catching the bus. Um, you shouldn't have to. It shouldn't have to take you an hour or two hours mm-hmm. to get your groceries, and then you have to figure out a way to get them home. Um, when it comes to um, yeah, just just being able to get the food that you want you know be able to when it when it comes to um have uh, when it comes to jobs you know there's an economic aspect to food co-ops as well um when it comes to um somehow for elders people who are elders for them to get access to the food that they can't get go directly to the grocery store um, we possibly can have like a delivery service. So um, there are, are it's a it's a it's a huge number of different opportunities and different ways that uh, we can go about it, depending on however which way people want to want to um, want to do it. And that's largely determined by again listening to the voice of the community and letting them define this is what I need help with in terms of access and this is not. You might end up opening the store and realize that like access may just mean like people need to know what food you're providing. Like you could put this uh, fruit in front of them, but if they don't know what it means, they don't have access to it because they don't, they're not familiar with that fruit. So then maybe you realize you have to do um, education about what products you have in your store. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Um, the biggest thing is for, um, it's, it's all about what people want. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one um, one thing that's, you know, different from a regular grocery store to where it's a regular, you know, a corporate grocery store. It's all about them putting in what they think that you want versus you actually telling, you know, saying. It's not even what they think you want. They want to put out what's going to sell. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It might not yeah. even be what you really want, but if it's the hot item, what's popular, what's going to make their their profit, they're going to put it out there. And usually it's not the most healthiest mm-hmm. um, product. Um, yeah, like, for example, potato chips. Everybody eats potato chips, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, you have a store, and, and this, is, this is common. I see this in a lot of... Um, you know corner stores is um you have they have the uh, healthy corners program now and so in certain stores you have your fruits and vegetables but the biggest thing that you see are all this all these very various versions of chips and snacks mm-hmm. and things like that and the corner might be in the back of the store again and i was, I was touching gonna on say access. that <laughs> yeah. since we're talking about access 
yes, it's part of the program, but the way they fulfill the program, you, you go in the store, you can't find the fruits. It's way in the back, mm-hmm. close to, the, like, the bathroom. And even with that, you're just like, okay, why would you put it so far in the back if you're really trying to get it sold? Because it, it, it de- decays quicker. And so you have it in the back. No one's going to purchase it, or they're not going to think to purchase it by the time they go through all the the potato chips, the salty foods, and the the sweet foods. They're not they're not going to access. I mean, I've been to to a couple stores where the bananas are just brown. I mean, I mean, you can't sell that. And I'm looking at the store merchant. Why would you even have this still out here? You're not even if if the patrons are not getting. I'm sorry. If the man store manager is not looking at the produce and making sure that it's quality, the customer is not going to think the same way either. Mm-hmm. Now another thing that um, Raul touched on earlier that is also a good and an important aspect is um, for the store to be able to uh, be stable within the community mm-hmm. and and be there for a long period of time versus a, a corporate grocery store coming in and they're only there for three years, five years, and and then all of a sudden they decide to close. And then it's like, okay, what, would, what do we do now? Now we're, mm-hmm. where do we go? Now we have to either travel long distances or we just, we're under the guise of eating unhealthy packaged processed foods mm-hmm. and and not fresh foods so um yeah that's another very important aspect of it as well yeah and thank you for bringing that up it brings me to my next question um definitely about sustainability and i imagine that's part of your plan for impact so what impact does the community grocery co-op intend to have for board seven and eight residents um, huge impact. Um, <laughs> of like, course, like, yes. Like, uh, <laughs> Big impact. Yes. Like, like I said, not just not just from from food aspect, from a food aspect, but also from an economic aspect. Um, from food to jobs to culture to uh, just having that, because because food is so important when it comes to your health, but it's not just. A physical thing is a mental thing too. So if you're not eating the right foods, um, your your mind is not going to be right. You, your psyche is not going to be right, and and then you know your thoughts are not going to be right, and it becomes a chain reaction. So yeah, most definitely, mm-hmm. all of that is 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 a, is a uh, it impacts um, your your health. It impacts your body. It impacts the community as a whole just just a few people not having access to healthy food impacts the whole community as a whole and then you have a a domino effect of other things and leading into um people's way of life and crime and all that other kind of stuff Mm -hmm. all that has an aspect uh, aspect on it Mm -hmm. as well yeah raw project manager what impact will the co-op have on the community um, like Clarice said, definitely economic. Um, I think of like the first day where you can have students be volunteers. They can get their volunteer hours there. They can learn a craft, I mean, a, a skill um, and a craft if they want to 
draw pictures or do anything artful at the at at the uh, co-op. It also opens up uh, more avenues for business for other businesses. And one of the things I learned from GLAT is that they had a network of other businesses that depended on them, and they also depended on other businesses. So that's you become a nucleus in the community for other businesses to continue to thrive. To thrive. Um, as as for the people, they know that they had a hand in it. It's not that they okay they went and all of a sudden a store advertising and now they are patron. With a co-op, you become a member of it. You become an investor of it immediately into its future. And so to have that kind of control is usually unheard of from from a, a resident. And so you know that you not only that you participate in your in your community by paying taxes, and that's kind of offset. You don't know what happens to that money, but when you pay your membership to a co-op, you know exactly what is going to happen, and you have a vote on what is going to happen. And if things don't go right, you still have a say in how to make it change for the better. And so that type of control and access for the for the residents for the community is empowering. Awesome. And so, Raul, tell us about where you are um, as an organization in the process of getting this co-op up and running. Right now, we're still receiving our members. Um, we've had a couple of membership meetings. Sorry, membership drive, membership campaign to acquire more members. We do have our um, upcoming membership meeting where those who have signed up to be members, uh, they have. Um, we will introduce them to the different committees that we have so that we can continue to move towards our goals. Um, anyone could sign up on our, our website, uh, which is communitygrocerycoop.wordpress.com, uh, um, and we're, we're moving to another URL soon. But once that's set up, we will advertise um, the new URL so people can access that also. And they can follow us on Instagram at Community Grocery Co-op to get information or in our upcoming meetings. We have a mailing list um, that Clarice um, puts out mail, uh, puts out information uh, to those who are on the mailing list. Awesome. And that was my next question of where people can find you. Um, Clarice, recap it one more time where people can find you just in case they missed it. All right. So just in case you missed it, <laughs> our website is www.communitygrocerycooperative.wordpress.com. All spelled out. All one word. On Facebook, we are Community Grocery Co-op DC. Same on Instagram. Yep. And what I love about the website is that it's educational, obviously. Um, And so if you want to know more about what it means to be a member of the co-op, any co-op, especially this one, there's information about that as well, which is really helpful. Um, So yeah, thank you all for joining me on this episode. I really learned a lot. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) And anybody who is interested, we have an interest form on our website. And we also have, um, we call it a general information package, which has all the information about co-ops and, and the um, in the community grocery co-op, um, whatever information they would like to learn is all there. Awesome. Thanks for all for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Awesome. 
All right. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lunch Agenda. Be sure to follow this show and others on the Full Service Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them my way by finding me at Brown on all social media platforms and at KikoBuff on Instagram. Until next time, this is Lunch Agenda. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.